Hi, everyone. Thanks for tuning in to the podcast. We are ordinary people being transformed into passionate followers of Jesus. And our greatest desire is to join God in the remaking of all things. I hope this sermon gives you a little bit of a look into the life of our church. You can learn more and connect with us further, LafayetteNaz.org. Have a great day. Accept your share of suffering like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. Nobody who serves in the military gets tied up with civilian matters so they can please the one who recruited them. Also, in the same way, athletes don't win unless they follow the rules. A hardworking farmer should get the first share of the crop. Think about what I'm saying. The Lord will give you understanding about everything. And remember Jesus Christ who was raised from the dead and descended from David. This is my good news. This is the reason I'm suffering. To the point that I'm in prison like a common criminal. But God's word cannot be imprisoned. This is why I endure everything for the sake of those who are chosen by God so that they too may experience salvation in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. This saying is reliable. If we have died together, we will also live together. If we deny him, he will also deny us. If we are disloyal, he stays faithful because he can't be anything else than what he is. This is God's word for us this morning. As you're having a seat this morning, I want you to turn to your neighbor and talk to them and say to them, what you would rather be, would you rather be an athlete, a soldier, or a farmer? Good to see you this morning. You can be seated. We are in a series of sermons called The Grace of Grit. This is the second week in our sermon series called The Grace of Grit. And this is the premise of this sermon series. We're walking through the book of 2 Timothy. If you've never read the letter of 2 Timothy, it is the most personal letter, I think, in all of Scripture. It's, it's filled with these personal references. And it's like Paul, who's writing from prison... Paul saying to Timothy, who's going through some hard stuff, basically cheering him on, saying, come on, it's time to be tough. You can be resilient and you can endure. If you missed last week's sermon, it's on the website, it's on iTunes, it's on Spotify, Google Play, wherever you want to find it. We talked about the spiritual grace of getting bossy with your soul. Today, we're going to talk out of 2 Timothy chapter 2 about shortcuts. Shortcuts. Now listen, shortcuts are just simply a way of getting from here to there, but getting there faster. Getting there faster. I like shortcuts. I enjoy shortcuts. I know, if, as you do, if you're driving through town at certain times of the day, the way to get from point A to point B quicker, even if it's longer in terms of, of length, it's quicker because, because it's not as heavily trafficked. I I like shortcuts. Who doesn't like shortcuts? I, I was spending this past week 
thinking about all of the ways that shortcuts show up in our life now, all of the shortcuts that exist now that didn't exist before, all of the things that make our life easier and quicker and, and better and speedier, all of the things that we love. It shows up in the world of food. It shows up in the world of food. So, so um, you know, microwaves are like the ultimate shortcut. But microwaves are kind of gross, right? Like they don't cook your food very well. They just reheat food really quickly. But now there are these things. I don't know what I'm talking about now. But I've heard, I've heard people talk about these things called instant pots. Instant pots. Can I get an amen from the people in the house who like the Instant Pot? Don't be scared. I'm not going to diss you or make fun of you. I don't know anything about Instant Pots, but my understanding of Instant Pots is like a crock pot, the microwave version of a crock pot. It's like a crock pot on steroids. It's like you put a raw piece of meat in an Instant Pot, and it would usually take hours to cook and prepare this raw piece of meat but 20 minutes later through the miracle of science. I mean, I, I don't know. We are bending the laws of physics. Things are happening here. 20 minutes later, the, the food is ready for you to consume. Because what is it? It's a pot, but it's also instant, instant pot. It's a, it's a shortcut. It's a way of getting raw food to consumable food faster. I don't usually do this very often, but... Most of the time, if I get a check, I take it to the bank, and I know I'm old. I put it in the ATM machine. I put it in the ATM machine and deposit my check that way. But, but there's now this thing where you, you open the app on your phone, and you take a picture of this check. It's called mobile check deposit. You take a picture of the check, and by taking a picture of the check, you can deposit the check into your bank account. I did this the other day for one of the very first times. And I learned that when you do the mobile check deposit, if you can't wait for the bank to process that thing, you can make those funds immediately accessible by pressing this little button on your app. And, and the bank takes a portion of your deposit in order, to, in order to make that happen. But you can get that money in your account right. What is That's a shortcut. It's a way of, of getting to the end result quicker, quicker. Shortcuts are everywhere in our world, and shortcuts are not a bad thing. I mean, um, they're, not, they're not bad at all, but, but this is what I've noticed. For all of the most rewarding and the best things in life, the things that you really want to build your life around, there are no shortcuts. There are no shortcuts for those things. And if there are promised to be shortcuts for those really good things, those shortcuts, they don't work. Like if you want to save money, there's no shortcut for that. If you want to live your life in such a way that when you pass away from this life, that there's money that's passed down, there's no shortcut for that. It's living below what you can afford. Every day, every week, every month, for years and years and years. If you want to learn how to play an instrument or learn how to sing, there's no shortcut for that. It's practice every day, every week, every month, for years 
if you want to have a successful and a good career, there's no shortcut for that. It's working an honest shift. Hard hours. Every day. It's showing up when you, you don't feel all that well. But you don't want to call off because you want to get your job done. It's doing what you said you would do. And if you can't do what you said you would do, it's being honest and upfront with the person you said you would do that with. It's under-promising and over-performing every day, every week, for decades. That's how a career is built. If you want to be a great friend or, or have a great friendship, there's no shortcut for that. It's showing up when you're tired, being present to that person when they need you the most. It's giving up a Saturday to load and unload their moving truck, even though that's the last thing you want to do. It's returning the text, not ghosting. There's no shortcut to a great friendship. If you want a great marriage, and I'm talking about a great marriage, the kind of legacy marriage that sets the tone for generations to come, where they can point to you and say of your marriage relationship, that is, that's what I aspire to. There is no shortcut for that. It's work. It's listening well. It's changing yourself. It's serving and sharing and persisting every day, every week. Now listen, for a lifetime, for a lifetime, because here's the deal. If you want the reward of that kind of life, you have to endure the work. If you want the reward of that, kind of life. You have to endure that kind of work. And you know what we call people who who want the reward but refuse to endure the work? You know what we call people in this life who want a shortcut? We call them cheaters. Because what are cheaters trying to do? They're looking for that result by shortcutting the process. They want that reward without the work. Now, when you think of cheater, I don't know who you think of, but I think of this person. I want to show you a picture of who I think is the ultimate cheater. Amen to that. <laughs> For those of you who do not know, that is Bill Belichick. Bill Belichick is the head coach of the New England Patriots. I think he um, is the greatest con artist that the world has ever seen and um, an incredible, a cred- incredibly talented cheater. Uh, the Bill Belichick's legacy of cheating is, is large and long, goes way back in time. Most notably was Spygate. For those of you who are unaware of Spygate, that's when the Patriots were found to have been spying on the practice of one of their rival teams. It was a closed practice, but Bill Belichick sent one of his flunkies um, to videotape this practice so that they could gain a, a schematic advantage. It um, made itself known um, to those of you who are Indianapolis Colts fans. It, you, you felt the pain of Bill Belichick's cheating, most notably when he had his cornerbacks, Ty Law, hold and grab and clutch Reggie Wayne and Marvin Harrison and keep us, the better team, from winning that game. Showed up again when we played them with Andrew Luck 
uh, rest in peace, Andrew Luck, um, who uh, uh, and Tom Brady was, was have found to have been playing with deflated footballs. Because Tom Brady is a man with soft and smooth and small hands who cannot handle a firm football like Andrew Luck can. Belichick's a cheater. He shortcuts the, he wants the reward without doing all of the work, but it shows up in, in your life and my life as well. It shows up in the workplace. When we, when we shortcut that process, that's like when we take credit for work that someone else did because it was good work and it makes us look good. Or we go soft on quality in order to help the bottom line. We shuffle some money around in order to make the bottom line look better. It's shortcutting the whole thing. It shows up in relationships. It's desiring the reward or intimacy or the feeling or the fun without having to do any of the work of building a life together. Can we be honest that building a life with someone else is tough work? It's hard work. Paying bills and raising children. Making sure that we're headed in the same direction together as a family. It's hard. People want to shortcut that process and they want all of the things that were present when the relationship was in its infancy and there weren't bills and there weren't children and and pretty soon the heart starts to stray. And, and what's happening? It's shortcutting the process. And Paul is saying to Timothy in this letter, if you want the reward, you have to endure the work. And he uses three images to make his point. Three metaphors. He says it's like a soldier. It's like a soldier, Timothy. A good, dedicated soldier whose motivation is to please their commanding officer That soldier, Timothy, Paul says, his mind is focused only on military tasks. He's not wrapped up in and thinking about and distracted by civilian affairs. He's singularly focused on military activities. It's a life, Timothy, of dedication and discipline and obedience and focus. It's not getting entangled in things that are secondary of importance that really don't matter. You're not getting mixed up, Timothy. You're not getting distracted. A soldier is singularly focused. That's what this life is like. That's what Paul is saying to Timothy. That's what this life is like. Or he says it's like an athlete. And in Paul's world and in Paul's time, if you wanted to be an athlete, and take part in athletic competitions, there were rules to those games. You had to follow those rules. So you have to do what the officials tell you to do, and you have to follow the route of the race and not cut any corners. And Like your discus that you're going to throw has to be a certain weight and certain dimensions, and your javelin has to meet all of the specifications. And if you want to shortcut that, if you want an advantage... If you want the reward and you don't want to do the work, I mean, let's say that you want to hit more home runs without having to train as hard. So what you can do then is you can take performance-enhancing drugs and you can blow up like Mark McGuire and Sammy Sosa and Alex Rodriguez and all of those guys. Or, or let's say that you want to be able to cycle faster than everybody else and endure more physical pain than any other cyclist. Well, then what you can do is you can dope. Like Lance Armstrong, you're seeking the reward 
without having to endure the work. There's this really, 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 really interesting story that's emerged from the world of marathon running. I want to read part of it to you. It's about this 70-year-old, this 70-year-old doctor from East Los Angeles. I actually have a picture of the headline for you. The headline says this, Is this 70-year-old marathon runner from East L.A. a record setter or a cheater? This is still... To, this is like to, this is today's news. This is not old news. This is this is news news. And the story of this guy is that he was not like a legit runner runner. Maybe he ran some five Ks, took some Instagram photos, tagged it, the whole bit. But he was not like a competitive competitive runner until his seventies. And all of a sudden, he started to show up on the scene with these incredible times, like unreal times. And everyone, so if you're a legit serious runner, you know that in the running community, there are like diehards who are like on message boards and and Twitter and stuff, and they pay attention to race times throughout the country. And they started to see times being posted by this guy, and they were like, no possible way. And so there became these truthers, these like marathon race truthers, and they solicited the like um, surveillance cameras of stores that would be along the route that this guy was running so they could see and track and trace his race times. And people are convinced that this guy is not honestly running these races and how he's cheating they cannot figure it out the common ways to cheat if those of you want to take advantage of the system i guess the common ways to cheat are like you you hop a ride i'm like you get on a bike or something and you you ride your bike for a little bit or you pass off your bib number to someone else who's really fast and you have that person run real fast for a while and then you you shortcut you catch up to them and you get your put your bib number on i don't who knows? Seems really complicated to me, but, but however it is, there's this controversy, and it's still unclear. Maybe a podcast should be issued here to figure this out. Is this guy cheating or not? And the suspicion is he wants that reward without having to endure the work. Paul says to Timothy, any good athlete knows you have to train. You have to endure the pain and endure the suffering in order to receive the reward. And then the third thing that Paul says is, he says, it's like, a, it's like a good soldier, Timothy, or it's like an athlete. Or finally, he said, it's like a hardworking farmer. It's like a hardworking farmer. And a farmer, we know this life, a farmer more than any of the other two is completely dependent upon God. Because the soldier can call in reinforcements, and, and that soldier's, Troops can get there really quick or the athlete can train harder or drink a protein shake or take some creatine in order to boost their performance. But the farmer is completely dependent. There's nothing they can do. They can't make it rain. They can't keep the wind from blowing. They don't determine whether it's an early freeze or not. They are completely dependent upon the grace and mercy of God. And Paul says to Timothy, listen, this life is like a hard-working farmer. 
which means that despite the fact that almost everything a farmer does is completely in God's control and not their own control, the farmer doesn't get up in the morning, go and sit on the couch, start to talk to God and say, hey God, listen, there's a lot of weeds on the North 40. And so God, my prayer is that in your infinite mercy, you would remove the weeds from the North 40. God, my prayer is that you would make it rain and that the crop would be abundant because if you don't take care of those weeds, God, then it's going to choke out some of the crop. And God, I hate to tell you this, but that's going to eat into your 10%. I want to give 10% to you, God, but, but if you can't get the weeds off of that field, then that amount is going to really decrease. And God, I want your house to be full. I, want your wealth to be seen to all the nations. So God, just go take care of those weeds. Grow that crop and let's show the whole world your glory. Amen. And God, I'll be here on the couch. So if you have some other blessings you want to bestow on me while you get the weeds out and grow the crops, just, I just want to let you know I'll be here. I'll be here on this couch. And here's the thing. Here's the thing. I think kind of internally we're giggling at the foolishness of that. But, but I think we should be saying, ouch. I think we should be saying, ouch. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to take a week, this next week. And any time that you're over this next week in an environment with other people who are following Jesus, and you know them well. I mean, if you don't know them well, don't be weird. But if you know them well, Ask them, say, are you content in your relationship with God? Or are you frustrated? Are you content or are you frustrated? And just as a guess, I would guess that like 75, 80% would say and return to, you know, I'm kind of frustrated. And then if you were to say to them, well, tell me why. What are you frustrated about? I think most people would, in response, say, I, you know, I'm just struggling. Um, and I'm undisciplined. I struggle with this thing in my life. And that thing, I've struggled with that thing for so long. And that's a good conversation to have. But if you'd be willing, I'd invite you to take it one step further. And after they've said, yeah, I'm not content, I'm pretty frustrated, I got this thing I'm struggling with, ask them, so what are you doing about that? What are you trying to do in order to grow past that? How are you doing something to posture your life to see God move into that thing or to do something about it? And here's what I think you'll hear. I think you'll hear that. Crickets. Because way too often we find ourselves like a soldier who's double-minded. Who's not singularly focused on that task. Or we find ourselves like an athlete who wants to cheat in order to gain the reward without enduring the work. Or like a farmer who's not hardworking 
who sits on a couch and begs for God to remove the weeds. Because here's what's true about almost everybody's human experience. We've all been dealing with something, struggling with something, whether it's pride or whether it's envy or whether it's jealousy or anger or bitterness or something. We've been dealing with that something and we've, most of us have been dealing with that same thing for a long stretch of time. I mean, some of us have had a lustful heart for a long time and we've not been able to kick that pornography addiction. And others of us have, have had greed issues and we've just not been able to, to stop hemorrhaging money, waste, wasting it. And we've been dealing with stuff and we hear the preaching and the music and the worship and sometimes there's like a moment of clarity where God breaks through all of that and we say, okay, today's the day, no more. No more. I'm not going to do this anymore. I'm going to stop. And and then we still shortcut that thing. Or we sit here and we've like really sensed God's presence during worship. And we've, we've said to God, God, just take it from me. Just take it from me. I cannot stand this thing that I'm going through. So God, would you please remove this in me? And sincerely pleaded with God to do that. But but then we don't do the other half of that equation. We don't make ourselves available to God any other time during our life than one hour on a Sunday morning. But the soldier, the athlete, and the hardworking farmer, their life is patterned differently. They get out of bed, and they get into the field as soon as the sun comes up. And they start pulling the weeds until their hands are bloody. And while they're pulling weeds, they're begging God to make it rain. And if it doesn't rain, then the crops will still die. But the farmer is still taking care of the weeds. So Paul says to Timothy, if you want that reward, you have to endure the work. And what is the work, according to Paul? It's suffering. It's suffering. If you want that reward, you have to endure the work of suffering. And this is why Paul is preaching so openly and honestly to Timothy, because Timothy is no different than us. And Paul is no different than us. No one willingly chooses suffering. It's not like in our minds we think to ourselves, this is what I want to do, I want to endure this. The only person who willingly chose suffering was Jesus, who willingly embraced the cross, carried it up a hill, bore it on our behalf, refused to remove himself, And let his life dwindle away from him. Because he knew that the only way to defeat the power and the curse and the sting of death was to willingly give himself over to death so that he could conquer death by death and through the very pit of hell and the grave and death itself 
when Jesus was resurrected because he didn't remove himself from the thing, because he gave himself fully over to the thing. Because of that, when God raised him from the dead, there is now a trail that has been blazed from the very pit of hell into new resurrection life so that Paul can honestly say all of us who die with him will be raised to new life with him. None of us choose it. Jesus Jesus did. But Paul is saying to Timothy, the only way to achieve the result of right relationship with God in this world is to endure the work of suffering. Which is why Paul says to Timothy in that first verse, So, my child, draw your strength from the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Where, where does this strength to endure this come from? Is it like willpower? Do we just muster some stuff up? Really talk ourselves up into a frenzy? Is it every Sunday morning we get what we need in order to last like the batteries are running out on Saturday night, man? Those batteries, they, 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 they are low. We got we to gotta get in and get filled up. Is it... Is it like some seasonal Christmas and Easter sort of big moments where we sense the beauty? No, Paul, Paul says to Timothy, this is where the strength comes from. Draw your strength from the grace that is in Jesus Christ. Church, can I point you to the cross this morning? Can I point you to the very real presence of Jesus? Can I invite you into a life that does the work, the hard work? And there's so many times where I, where I wish I could sugarcoat the message of the gospel. Where I wish I could say to you that when you choose to become a follower of Jesus, your circumstances will automatically improve. That the pain and suffering that you experience in this life will be removed from it. I wish... Man, I wish I could shortcut the gospel, but really I'd be shortchanging it, and I'd be shortchanging you. Can I point you this morning to the cross of Jesus? Can it remind you of the love of God made known through that gift of grace? And can I encourage you, as Paul encouraged Timothy, draw your strength only from the grace of God that's been made known to us in Jesus Christ. But do the work. Do the work. If you want the reward of, if you don't want the reward, cool. If you want the reward of the kind and quality of life that Jesus has come to bring, we gotta do the work. There's no shortcuts.